Hello and welcome to the Truth About Local Government podcast, a podcast aimed at providing a platform to promote the excellent work that the political members and officers of local authorities are doing to overcome the increasing challenges facing the communities across the UK. Additionally, we will be promoting the wider way of career opportunities that exist within local government. We hope this podcast will help drive engagement between the public and local authorities across the UK. Welcome back. So as we all know, it's a time of reflection running in towards the end of the financial year. And a lot of chief executives and chief information officers are thinking, how can we this year, 2024, 2025, ensure that technology helps us to transform local government? How can technology deal with some of the big issues that local authorities are facing at the present time? And I've got some real heavyweights today to talk to you um, from well, firstly, Robert Denton, who is works with Microsoft. He's head of local government, 18 years, uh, being part of then running the team. So a fantastic person to have on. Robin, thank you very much for coming on. How are you? Yeah, very well, thanks. How are you? I'm wonderful. I'm very well excited. And joining uh, Robin, uh, equally as experienced, equally as charismatic, is Derek Wise from Civica, who is the chief product and technology officer. Derek, as well, thank you so much for coming on. How are you? I'm doing great, Matt. Thank you for letting us join. So I guess the starting point is we've kind of got four key topics today, and the first one being looking at the art of the possible. Now, sometimes a solution for local government leaders is simpler than it might seem, um, such as leveraging existing technologies at their disposal. Can you give us a bit of background first, Robin, in terms of with this topic, how chief information officers and authorities should be looking at what the art of it is possible um, within the local authority IT space? Yeah, it's a big, broad question, that, isn't it? Because there is so much that um, leaders are able to do with technology. I, I think for me, first and foremost, there are so many different investments in local authorities at the moment in terms of the platforms they're using, what they're delivering, what the outcomes are that they're trying to achieve. And for me, one of the biggest areas that I think we often come across in local government is because departments are very siloed, you have this one piece of technology in one department that can do exactly the function you might want it to do in another department but because it's locked away in one it never translates into the other i think there's a role here for how do we understand the breadth of all of the the kind of technologies that we have within the organization what they can do to deliver value and to deliver outcomes within that organization look at how we get that maximum return across across all of those so i mean as an example we we run a program in conjunction with Socketim at the moment called Change Agents. And Change Agents is all about exactly that. How do we go and engage people in social care and children's services, environmental services, in the back office functions, you know, whatever other department um, or, or scenario we're thinking about with finding someone who is really interested in what technology could do to make their job better? and make their job more functional. We then bring them into an education session where over the course of a few days in conjunction with trainers from Socketim, we teach them about change management, we teach them about what different technology solutions can do and how those things can get leveraged to deliver the outcome that they're looking for. And the whole point to that is that they would then be having the knowledge and some of the skill sets needed to go back into their department. And as other people are talking about things they're doing in their day job, able to start understanding those and start thinking about, okay, what could that mean in this context? Let's bring that back into the world of 
of you know the IT teams to start building out capability. So I think there's a lot of different ways you can do that from just you know your traditional demos through to mechanisms like that where we start looking at you know output and what's the need within the organization. So do you think in a way actually so for those people that are out there now because obviously everyone's very busy in the day-to-day -day yep. job but having almost within your team and uh designated uh it champion i'm not necessarily the most proficient in it but someone who's got a curiosity is probably is that yes. is curiosity the starting point absolutely absolutely curiosity is where all the great ideas come from right if you have a learn it all mentality and you go how do i understand what this can do how can this make something better that is a problem for me that is where all all of the great innovations pretty much in society have ever come from so who in in those departments have got that curiosity that you know the potential understanding that that kind of little nugget that makes them go hey i think i could do something differently here they're they're a bit of an agent of change within your organization they're the types of people who are perfect for that type of learning Derek, what do you think in terms of the main barriers to this uh, kind of uh, utilisation and engagement with ICT across the UK and local authorities? Yeah, it, it's it's very much like um, like Robin called out um, because of some of the traditional siloed natures that have been created. It makes it very hard to kind of look left and right inside the business. So this is where that key role of that CIO or CEO plays. What's your strategy? What's your vision? Why are you here? What's your purpose? If, if you can really enunciate that to your team well, it can trigger the right behaviors, the right conversations start happening across those silos. And it's the, it's the look across and the opportunity to connect data that I think really is going to be one of those catalysts. Um, as Rob and the team really, really well know, especially over at Microsoft, a lot of the things that were maybe hard to do two years ago, like large language models, aren't hard anymore. Uh, some of the barriers that were there a few years back are no longer the same barrier. Um, and, and the art of the possible is a mindset that we can just get into. And it, this is where, when, when I've met with a um, local authority CEO specifically, it's like, if you can enunciate that vision, that strategy, what you're trying to do for your communities, um, that's the starting point. We often, and I'm an engineer, so I kind of I have a bad habit of this too. I'll start to solution before I know the whole problem. Uh, but knowing the whole problem and spending the time knowing what the problem or opportunity is, is, it's just critical to having the whole discovery. Otherwise, you do end up with micro solutions that don't function well across um, one another and you don't get the create the whole value you could. Uh, lots of stories about that living here in the UK with uh, my bins not being collected, although they have my council tax data. Uh, you know, why didn't those two pieces get connected together? And the 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 engineer in me goes, they need to write a better form for complaining. But the CIO or CTO in me goes, actually, why do you even need a form for that? Shouldn't you already know because the data is connected? So that's the art of the possible, really skipping some of those, um, those interim uh, point solutions and moving right to impacting the community more holistically it's interesting isn't it in terms of when you talk about identity and vision because that if you can if an organization each local authority has a mandate and each political party that is is in has the majority control has a very clear vision of what they want to create and that's i think that's really interesting because i think a lot of people when they talk about it they wouldn't start by talking about what their vision is as an organization but what you said there that's absolutely they don't need to be articulate how to fix it from it because i think that's that's where a lot of these these barriers come from people are scared they don't want to look as if they're a fool by you know saying something that's stupid but i constantly ask questions i like i don't there are no stupid questions let's just be very clear so the two points we've taken from there then is we need to have people that are really curious about looking at what can be achieved 
and then having a very clear understanding of exactly what it is you're trying to deliver for communities. And then once that is established, then experts like yourselves can then give tell you what the up to date capacity of IT is rather than you trying to make an inference or a, a guess based on watching you know, some TV program, you know, let the experts guide you, but let yourself have a very clear vision. In terms of, in terms of obviously democracy and the utilization to uh, digital, digital, digitalization, um, as we go through this process of a greater level of digital education and usage throughout the UK, um, you've both made points to me off air about the real importance that no citizen or communities are left behind or excluded. How do you achieve that, Derek? Well, it, it's a big problem. So um, some some basic data, I think the 2022 census said there's 61 million citizens in the UK-ish. Um, there are 83 million cell phone contracts in the UK right now, mobile phone contracts in the, in the UK right now. Um, so we have a large proportion of our community that has a device that'll, that we should be considering for communications. Um, that's 98% of 16 to 24 year olds have a mobile device. Um, but when you get into the upper age ranges above 65, that starts to drop to 80. So we really need to consider what's our primary mechanism that we're expecting people to communicate with us in and make sure we have those channels wide open, easy to use. They need to be there, but we also need to support the secondary channels or the other channels that are required. So that 20% of UK citizens who do not currently use a smartphone uh, are people that need to be served and serviced because we are not here um, just to turn a profit as local authority, or that's not the goal here. It's a way more altruistic organization than that. So our goal is to make sure that those who are in the most need aren't left behind. Um, so we have to structure ourselves around paper. Uh, we have to structure ourselves around um, um, Civica. We own printing presses because we have to, not because we're um, we're a pure play software company. We'd never have giant printing presses. But part of making sure that democracy is served here means that we have to have uh, printable materials in the hands of people who might not otherwise be able to participate in democracy. So these are great things to call out. We have to do both parts. So it's a it's a very interesting position that I'd say Fortune 500 companies or other software companies might not have to worry about. But in this in this space where we're really trying to service citizens, we have to think about servicing that whole group of citizens and not leaving people behind because it's harder to serve them. I, do, I absolutely love that part around inclusive to inclusivity. I can't actually speak today, which is <laughs> not the best thing. Um, it's not great for a podcast. No, it's not. <laughs> but we'll try. I'll try and channel my inner Joe Rogan. Um, that's really important. And I guess, Robin, how does Microsoft, you know, in terms of your approach with communities and with that inclusivity, how do you approach that problem? Yeah, I, I think it's, a, it's an absolutely great question. I remember really fondly um, being in a session a couple of years ago with the then chief exec of Enfield Council. And he said something that has always stuck with me. He said, our job in terms of the way we serve our community is to create the capacity to deliver care and compassion to the people who really need it and for everyone else to automate a lot of the the interactions that we have with them and that has always stuck with me as as a mantra that i think really gets to the heart of what is it we need to be doing to to leverage technology when we're looking outwards with with our residents you know for a lot of people who are you know able-bodied who are you're able to interact with technology to, to Derek's point, you know, they've got a digital device, be that a phone or be that a laptop or whatever else. Yeah, it might be that a lot of the requests that come into us are, are fairly easy to field and can be fielded through 
you know, a, a, a chatbot or a form or something like that. But then there is those members of society who need an awful lot more care and need an awful lot more compassion and actually will probably have um, you know, a lack of knowledge or a lack of skills or even a lack of, you know, physical or, or mental ability to engage through those digital forums. And it's those individuals who we need to make sure we are building accessibility uh, mechanisms in. And I think, you know, Derek talking about you know, how you have kind of paper, et cetera, is a great example of that. I think another great example about how you how we think about that is, you know, if we're building out a process that is designed to be front ended with a resident, Yes, there is that digital front door, but actually, how is it we then go and create a verbal front door as well? So we've got quite a few programs going on at the moment where in the contact centre, we might be trying to deflect by having a chatbot at the front end or having a digital form that you can go in and fill. But actually, there's a real recognition that there is a large number of uh, people in society who will still want to phone in because that is how they typically will communicate. So actually, in that mechanism, how do we front end that call with exactly the same information, exactly the same questions, but we put it up in an automated you know, voice type service that then can get through to someone, you know, dependent on the answers that are given and also understanding things like, yeah, is there a real sense of urgency or panic in that individual's voice? How do we pick those you know, undertones up and make sure their priorities, prioritise goes straight through to to a contact center so there's barriers like that and then i don't think we can ignore things like language as well especially in the uk with the mixed demographic we have there are a lot of people where english is not their first language and it may not even be their second third fourth or fifth language you know it it, it may be something that they can speak in in broken tongues so again we need to make sure that we're thinking about how are we making some of these things multilingual so that front door is understandable by every member of society who we're serving and it's for me as well, it's just the fact that what you're talking about there is something that's constantly evolving. It's constantly changing. What the community yeah. needs evolves with the people. Um, Derek, totally you've got a, a point that you were just going to add in there as well. Yeah, I think I think it's right to your point, Matthew, on like evolution here. So if we think about how this has evolved over the decades, um, we, we need to reset our mission statement every decade or maybe maybe more often than that even. But I'll give you an idea of, of how this can go wrong. If you solve the problem only for the lowest common denominator or the hardest to solve person, you end up with the NHS problem. The NHS spent a billion pounds over the last five years on storing paper, not, not printing, not printing presses. That's just the warehousing cost of the current printed products that they store. So a billion pounds over five years to store printed paper. That means that we haven't really thought about, okay, 80% have mobile devices. So is there 80% of that that is absolutely a waste that could be pure digital now? Can we look at backup solutions for it? Can we move some of this stuff into the cloud? And 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 I'm, I talk about things, and I know this data because we're at Civica, we're working with the NHS on digitizing some of this data, getting rid of 7,000 fax machines. Yes, that many fax machines. So we haven't really made that quantum leap forward where we go, hey, that yes, we need to service these the, the individuals who don't have a mobile device. We need to make sure that paper is, is available. We make sure, like Robin said, we're we're talking about language, we're talking about voice support. Those are the those are the more expensive parts of this. But when you make the whole system the most more expensive system, that's where all your waste goes to. Where you didn't need to actually do that for a person like me who's very happy to get a text message and I prefer you not to call me. Right. That's so figure out how to interact in a more in a reset modern perspective. So don't always go to the 
this is the way we've always done it. We've always printed the sheet of paper and taken the email. Like, you, do you really need to sheet, print the sheet of paper anymore? So reassess the process. And I think for local authorities, that's one of the big things about going back to the first topic, asking what, why you're doing this, and then resetting. Don't just go, we've always had this 37-step process. What well, do you need all 37 steps now? How can you augment this? We just don't think that way often enough and reset our our alignment with what's possible technologically and what our what our constituents actually need now. It's interesting because that leads into uh, my question around data. So how can local government leaders harness the wealth of data they already hold to make sure this doesn't happen and to make sure that people aren't excluded? Robert, do you want to jump in on that? Yeah, thank you. Uh, you know, it's, it's a great point, isn't it? And for me, we've got data sat in so many different silos now. There's a real there's a real interesting point here around how to start triangulate that and bring that into to one place. You know, Cornwall have done some fantastic work where they are creating a you know a golden record for a for a resident and they are pulling together all sorts of different data around those individuals that are sat in, in different parts of their ecosystem. We're seeing other work where you know you look in an area like South London Partnership, they're looking at hey, what have we got kind of organisationally around an individual? But then they're also overlaying that, what can we build out around the place data? So what can we gather from you know, movement of people data? What can we gather from uh, pollution data, sensors like that? We have people who are doing programmes of work to look at you know, humidity within a house and whether or not that could lead to black mould or whether actually it's at a point where it could you know, trigger um, you know, so a, a lung issue that is known within that individual. There's all sorts of these fascinating different projects that are going on. But it almost goes back to my very first point when we were talking earlier around you have all these things in silo and not necessarily being looked at how can we join those things up and how can we get more from those different pieces of input. So to me, the first thing about data is how do you build up that repository? That might be something you decide to actually build as kind of a central data lake where you're populating all of that into one place that you can go and ask different questions of it. It might be that actually you're quite happy keeping it in different silos and you use a different technology to kind of connect into all of those and then bring it up into like an area where you can ask questions and create visuals and so on around that but i think for me that you, you need to start working out what is that overarching data um strategy going to look like and, and for me that needs to be top down not bottom up like what does the chief exec need what does all of their heads of uh, department need and then how does that flow down into what we deliver in the rest of it because quite often what we're seeing is actually here's this particular program that's really great and it's a data-led project but it's going to solve this one very very small exam question when actually i think if we start looking at the top and going what is it we need to you know drive employability to you know drive down the the number of people coming into care, the number of people um, who potentially are at risk of becoming homeless. What do we need to do to intervene with a child earlier? How do we aggregate all of the different data sets we have around those exam questions in the right way to then be able to answer some of those questions? That will start permeating out into multiple different use cases because left and right across the leadership team, they will start going, that thing you're looking at for a vulnerable child there, that's really similar to what we're trying to do here with homelessness, or that's really similar to what we're trying to do here with, you know, early um, intervention on a care pathway. All of those things will be quite similar, but you need to get to that point where you're having that discussion at a leadership team around what we're trying to achieve, how we're going to get there, and then the tech will follow. And just on that point, Derek, I mean, in terms of this data being shared 
uh, across public services. Is that the solution? Is that part of the solution here then to, uh, to, to getting the most out of the technology? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it all basically starts with data. The idea here of getting some kind of insight to action without any data is is fundamentally flawed. So you're just guessing if, if you're doing it. So um, if you want to avoid the guesswork, you use a grounded set of data that you've got evidence over time on, you generate an insight from it and an action plan to go solve for. And I think what we've seen in the past or what I've experienced um, in, in not just here in the UK, but in my career everywhere, this is a common problem where someone needs to solve a very point solution problem they build a big data warehouse for it they go out and try and solve that problem and someone else in their org built an equally large data warehouse to go solve an, an even smaller problem and there was a 99.8 percent overlap in the data and a 100 percent overlap in the cost so th there's a real outcome to citizens and, and local local authorities here by having a strategic conversation at the very highest level inside the, the authority um, around What's the best use of data and what's our problem statement? So again, back to back to the first topic, the art of the possible. Nothing really works without that first vision statement, that first why are we here? Who are we doing it for? And what's our desired outcome? Uh, and then we go find the data, the tools and systems to solve that problem. Um, but that does require, again, um, that vision statement from that CIO, CTO, um, CFO or, or CEO, that those those execs, they really need to own what their mission is and um, the fewer the fewer words the smaller the mission uh, usually the easier it is to get people aligned to action and activity on it um, and i'm sure robin will, will, will admit to like this happens to us all the time we get um, as a technologist i get asked to solve 15 problems i could probably solve almost all of them once um, versus 15 individual and it just happens every day thank you for listening to the truth about local government podcast now 87 percent of listeners who enjoyed the podcast do not leave a review, follow the podcast, or share it. Please, if you liked it, review it, share it, and let's keep spreading the positive message about local government.